Missing Children, 2005. I remember when they found the bodies. It was May 16, 2005. Police walked through the back door of the greenhouse with white trim on the outskirts of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and there were three corpses lying face down in a welter of blood. Their hands had been zip-tied behind their backs. 40-year-old Brenda Groney had been bludgeoned with a hammer and lay near her boyfriend, Mark McKenzie, and her 13-year-old son, Slade. The smell of murder made the officers sick to their stomachs. Groney's two younger children, Shasta, 8, and Dylan, 9, were not among the dead. They were gone. If they weren't there, then where were they? And who could have possibly done this? I was a 24-year-old newspaper reporter then, working at an alternative weekly paper nearby in Spokane, Washington. I was a rookie journalist, and it was not my job to cover the disappearance of the two children from the blood-soaked scene of a triple murder, nor did I have the skills to do so. From my fabric-covered cubicle, tucked into a corner room with no windows, I overheard other reporters doing interviews about the Grony story, which happened in our newspaper's coverage area. I listened to how they asked questions. I learned. I had a feeling that one day, when I was ready, I'd need to know how to unwind a complicated case like it and make sense of some kind of similar horror. The person not yet known to authorities as the children's captor was a skinny man in his early 40s with shaggy brown curls, a thick mustache, and dark eyes like knives. His name was Joseph Duncan, a convicted sex offender who'd seen Shasta playing in the yard of a rundown home as he was driving by. The house, outside the lakeside resort city, was at the place where vacation fades into the reality of North Idaho's Silver Valley, where the work, the weather, the living, the poverty, the wilderness are rough and unrelenting. The Grony home was one of those houses you can see off the freeway, just outside anywhere, And you realize that for many people, peace and quiet is the passing purr of interstate traffic. There were junk cars in the yard and a leaning wooden shed. After Duncan first laid eyes on the child, playing in her swimsuit around the frontage road house, he began to hunt. For days, he waited nearby, stalking, peering in the family's windows at night through night vision goggles. He became their predator, crouching in the brush, waiting for nighttime, for the right moment to leap. When that time came, he entered the home in darkness. He duct-taped and zip-tied the family's hands behind their backs, slaughtering everyone who stood in the way of the children. Then he put the two kids into his stolen Jeep, and all three vanished into the wilderness. For weeks, the faces of Shasta and Dylan looked out from every highway billboard, forever smiling awkwardly, the clumsiness of school picture day blown up, mega-sized for all to see. Shasta's toothy grin and big ears, Dylan's thin smile and knowing eyes. Digital signs flashed at roadsides, missing children. Everyone knew their names. Helicopters scoured the area, and search and rescue teams combed the ground. Amber Alerts were issued, rewards offered, and a segment ran on America's Most Wanted, but nothing led to the children. The more time went by without authorities finding them, the more certain it seemed they'd be gone forever. Abductions were the stuff of milk cartons, and it seems like a milk carton kid never comes home.
lilac season came. Coeur d'Alene, the lake town, buzzed to life as it does in warm weather. The bar patios along Sherman Avenue teemed with groups of people inhaling sugar-sweet derailers out of white buckets through long, colored straws before stumbling, fully derailed, toward the lake. At night, party boats cruised its glassy waters. There were the annual celebrity sightings that come with every summer. John Travolta, John Elway, the guy from NYPD Blue— the guttural roll of motorcycles coursing down the main drag was ceaseless. 